Amen. Well, good evening. As Pastor Seamus said a little bit earlier, uh, my name is Andrew Vandermoss, in case some of you missed it, and I'm one of the pastors over at Christ Church, Crosstown. It's uh, always a joy uh, to be here and open God's Word with you, to labor for the gospel uh, with you here in town. Um, and uh, just uh, really enjoy the fellowship that I have with many of you uh, over the course of days and weeks, uh, your pastors, uh, Jeff, Dale, uh, Micah, John Curry, others. So uh, it's, a, it's a joy to come alongside one another. And tonight, apparently God has planned for you to have a little mini-series in Revelation. Uh, I did not know that when was, uh, was asked for a text, and so it seems that it's the text immediately preceding the one that you uh, received this morning. So without knowing fully uh, what Reverend Hamilton had to say this morning, I'll just give you a couple of my own words of introduction to Revelation, and then we'll read the text uh, and move forward in the direction I think God has for us tonight. Revelation uh, is one of the last books of the Scriptures written, uh, written during a time of intense persecution. And uh, as much as anything, I would say that Revelation is a pastoral letter uh, given to the people of God to help them through uh, the persecution. Very uh, early on, he indicates that uh, they, you know, as they read, they are blessed. So sometimes we get this idea that you know it's this Rubik's cube to be solved, and you know it's all about future events. It's very much you know, given for the church and the churches at that time to help them. And as such, it, it comes to us not as something that we have to, again, put all the pieces together and try to solve the puzzle about when Jesus is coming again, but rather it is a pastoral letter for us as well. And specifically when we get to these letters to the seven churches that uh, Jesus addresses through his servant John, uh, these are churches in the midst of a, a confused and broken world, a world where there is persecution. These are churches that very much need to hear a word from the Lord. Does that sound familiar at all? Uh, churches that need to hear a word from the Lord. And so I want to dive into the letter of the church, to the church in Laodicea. It's in chapter 3 of Revelation, and it begins in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, 
I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant uh, him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thus far in the reading of God's Word this evening, let's go to Him one more time and ask for His help in understanding. Holy Spirit, as we come before You, we recognize that You are the one through the pen of Your apostles that gave us this Word. You are the one who uh, emanates from the Father and the Son and, and who knows our hearts and searches our hearts even now. And you are the one who can make application. Give us the eyes to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to understand the, the love of a Father. And so we pray this evening, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you really would open our ears, uh, clear away the, the, the uh, obstructions from our eyes, and give us a soft, tender heart that would receive what you have us to hear tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you have ever given or received investing advice. I know a few of you, they make your living that way, giving and receiving, investing advice. I may be coming to you at some point, not that I have a lot to invest, but we seek that from time to time. I think even just parents and kids, if you're here, you've, you've either given or received investment advice. For young people, listen to your parents before your friends. Uh, they have a little more time under their belt and probably can be a bit more wise in the advice that they might give you. But we all need advice. And when we get that advice, we want to make sure that we are getting it from a qualified person, and we also want to pay attention to that advice. Here we come to a passage in Scripture that is really about investment in vice. Uh, you see that in verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich. Uh, it, it's fascinating. I, I, sometimes I think as I go through this passage, we could stop right here at verse 18 and we could do a whole sermon just on that. I counsel you. You know, here is the God of the universe, the one in chapter 1 who has been displayed in so much majesty and glory. He's got the th sword coming out of his mouth, and uh, there, is a, there is an awesomeness to the person of Jesus. And he's coming alongside of this church, and he's saying, I, I counsel you. He could have said, I order you, I demand that, I... but he doesn't say that. He comes to them in a very winsome way that uh, betrays the dignity that he has given to us as individuals, and he says, listen to me, this is going to be good advice. This is going to be something that you're going to want to pay attention to. And we know that because he's given us his credentials, right? Uh, the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the verily, verily true one. 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I think if you went back into Proverbs chapter 8, there you would see wisdom personified. And so many of the things that are picked up here in this verse, verse 14 of chapter 3, are coming out of that. And we recognize that we are dealing with God. We are dealing with the one who knows us from the beginning to the end. He knows his creation. He is the ultimate wise one. He is the ultimate credentialed one. He is the ultimate dispenser of good counsel. He is the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the one who was in and through the beginning. So it would be good for us to listen to him. So what does he have to say to us this evening? I want to suggest to you a path, three things. I am Presbyterian after all. Uh, An an honest assessment, uh, spendable currency, uh, leading to true dividends and a feast to enjoy. So that's our path this evening. And as Jesus dispenses this advice to the church... Uh, let's start there. He begins with an honest assessment. I mean, if you were to sit down with an investment counselor and you were to present a less than honest picture of where your status was and what your current assets and liabilities were, it would be really difficult for them to give advice. And if you are living uh, by a sense of, you know, maybe that you have more money than you actually do or you are living somehow falsely to your situation, you're going to make a lot of mistakes in life, right? So we need to start with this honest assessment. And that's exactly where Jesus takes this church, the church in Laodicea. Now, a couple of things about the church in Laodicea. You know, these seven churches were kind of on this mail route, uh, and they were going along. And and this is the last of the seven churches that Jesus comes and addresses. And and the church of Laodicea was known for uh, several things. It was was known for, or at least the town of Laodicea and then the church by extension, was known for uh, their, uh, their black wool. They, they were able to raise these sheep uh, around Laodicea that were, uh, they were black in color, they were luxuriant, and, and people would come from all over to get the Laodicean wool. It was, you know, in terms of fashion, it was the place to be. So they were marked by their wool, their garments, that industry. The other thing that they were marked by uh, is the medical industry. They, Asclepius Guild, had risen up. They had uh, developed, in particular, this thing called the Phrygian powder. And, and the Phrygian powder was an eye salve that people would come and they would seek out this eye salve in order to help them with their eye trouble. So you had people coming to this area, um, small little area outside of Ephesus. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was an influential city connected to Colossians, uh, Colossae and Hierapolis. These three cities all kind of sat together in what was called the Golden Triangle. And of those three cities, cities, Laodicea was by far the most wealthy. They developed a a gold system, banking system. They were actually destroyed by an earthquake in 60 AD, and they refused all FEMA aid. They said, no, we don't need your help. 
government. Uh, we can rebuild our city on our own, and they did. So Laodicea, you know, marked by the fashion industry, marked by the medical guilds and their ISAV, uh, you know, coming out into great wealth. And so as they are assessing themselves, they're saying, verse 18, I am rich, or verse 17, I am rich, I have prospered, I, ha- I need nothing. But what does Jesus come to them and say? In his honest assessment, he says two things. The first is this, you're not rich. You're, you're not rich. You, you think you are. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He hits them exactly in the places where they were thinking that they had it all together. You know, eyes, clothes, money. This is where they had it all together. And, and Jesus comes to him and says, no, you, you, you are actually living a fantasy. You are actually so out of touch with your true reality. And we need to, we need to address that. The other thing that he says to them, not only are they not rich, but also are, they are not useful. Uh, there are a couple of things in this particular, uh, this particular letter that are pretty famous. I, I know that for those of you who are even mildly associated with the Bible, um, you probably have heard this. You know, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, uh, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you or spit you out of my mouth. Verses 15 and 16. It's a pretty well-known text. And sometimes you've heard people say, like, this is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you on fire for him. Either that or or just get out of the building. Uh, Be cold. Well, let's think about that. That's that's probably not exactly what Jesus wants. You know, Jesus, especially in a letter to the churches, again, he's not not writing to outsiders. He's writing to the church, right, to to insiders. And he's saying, you're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. And that's, this is the point that he's trying to make, it's not useful, You know, so not only are you not rich, but you're not useful. So for all of Laodicea's wealth, uh, for all of their things that they had to offer, one of the things that they did not have was their own real water supply. And Colossians and Hierapolis, these other two towns next to them, were each distinguished, Colossae for their cold water that was actually pumped the five miles over to Laodicea, Uh, And then Heropolis was known for their hot springs, which had a medicinal use to them. And Jesus is saying, look it, we all recognize that cold water has a use and hot water has a use, but here you are in the middle because you are not pursuing me, because you are resting on the things that you think commend you, because you are not pursuing me, you are lukewarm and therefore useless. You do not serve the community around you. You do not serve me in that sense. So discover what your use is by pursuing God. So 
where do we take this in terms of application? I think one of the very first things that, that Christ is inviting us here, Harvest Church, West Michigan, this evening, is that honest assessment. You know, what is it that we are holding before the Lord? Uh, are, are we holding our, uh, our success? One of the ways that you might think about it is, are, are you holding the gifts that God has given you above, you know, your devotion to the giver, the one who has given you the gifts? can happen in our lives, uh, friends from around the world, a uh, couple actually staying with us from Vietnam right now, talk to us about uh, the, the world uh, view of Christians in America. And one of the things that I hear over and over again from folks around the world is that they pray for the poverty of American riches. You know, that those, the things that, that we so often strive for are the very things that make us poor, the very things which we don't really accurately assess. And we may have a greater need than what we think we do. I, I know that this can be true in churches. You know, so often we, we look at our buildings, we look at our programs, we look at how many people are coming, and, and we say, okay, we are successful if we have these things. You know, if, if again, but the question is, are we taking the gifts and are we putting them in the primary place over the one who gives us the gifts, our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he says to the church in Laodicea, though on the outside, seems like they have it all together. He says to them, you're, you're actually poor. It's interesting, it's just the opposite of what he says to the church in Smyrna. If you look in chapter 2, verse 9, Smyrna was a poor church, but he actually says to them, I know your poverty, parentheses, though you are rich. See, and the point is, it's not always what we see on the outside that determines whether a person, whether a church, is poor or rich before God. So, honest assessment from our counselor. What's the second thing that we are encouraged to really look at? I would argue, or I would contend, I would posit, maybe that's a better word, uh, I would posit that Jesus recommends in the face of this a spendable currency. Uh, it's not our riches that are going to actually move the dial of God's heart. It's not the th areas where we have it together. And we see that again, verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. God's not impressed by that, is he? Uh, God is not impressed by our having it all together. God is not impressed by our lack of need, our controlling of the situation. There is a certain hubris to that or pride uh, that is not currency in the kingdom of God. What is the currency of the kingdom of God? Well, it's humility. Uh, it's humility. God moves us in that direction. He says, I counsel you, buy from me uh, gold refined by fire. Why? Because you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And he comes to them in an in a, in a attitude of love, verse 19, those whom I love. So again, these are his people. 
He's not writing this to the, you know, the Romans or those outside of the church. He's writing it to the church at Laodicea. And he's coming to them in, in a fatherly tone. And, and he's saying, to those whom I love, uh, I discipline. Uh, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Here, I think, is the currency that really moves the heart of God. Uh, it is the acknowledgement of our need. Repentance is very much just exactly this. It's coming before God and saying, I am in need. I agree with your assessment. I am wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I have nothing to offer. In fact, let me detail the ways that I have blown it before you this week. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. And we don't minimize our sins, we maximize that. And that is the currency which God invites us to spend before them. That's what He invites us into, you know, as a Father who loves us. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. You know, some of the some of our struggle with some of this is just the way that we hear this. How many of you love discipline? See, we don't love discipline. I mean, we, we like discipline in one sense, but, you know, so often we think about it in terms of punitive. We think about it in terms of punishment. But that's not exactly what God is calling or inviting His people into. He's inviting them into a, a relationship in which there is real authenticity and there is honesty before Him. I mean, God knows, right? He is the searcher of hearts. He knows every single place where you have messed up today. He knows every single thought that led to every single action, and He knows exactly how bad it is. We don't know fully how bad it is, but He knows exactly how bad it is. And what he is inviting his people to do is to come and to be zealous and repent. That's actually a construction that we call a verbal hendiety. So, a, a, a legitimate trans, translation of that would be to say, zealously repent. Uh, to come before you and zealously repent before the Lord. To not minimize our repentance, but maximize it. And again, I posit to you that this is the currency that really moves the heart of God. See, this is what Keller would say is the inside-out, upside-down nature of the gospel. You know, we live in a world where the way up is the way up. The way down is the way down. But in the gospel parlance, it's just the opposite. The way down is the way up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. That is the gospel story, and that is what Jesus is inviting this Laodicean church. And you've put too much on the outside, the things that you have. You've looked at the gifts, and you're forgetting the giver. Come before the giver in honesty, 
clean out that relationship. I think, you know, one of the ways that's been most helpful to me in my own Christian walk, thinking about repentance, is just thinking about it in relational terms. I think sometimes we get caught into some of these ideas that penance holds, you know, if we, you know, come, we confess a sin, then we do this, and we receive absolution. There's that sort of that idea of penance. And even if we're not Roman Catholic, we sort of adopt a little bit of that, you know, so we, we import that into our repentance. But one of the things that is so helpful for me is to think about repentance in relational terms as opposed to transactional terms. You know, it's coming before us. It's a father. It's a mother. It's a, it's a good friend. It's a brother or a sister. And there's been something in the relationship and, and coming and saying, you know what? I blew it, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Sorry. It's okay. I, I love you. You know that. You know, we're together. We, this is, we belong together. And that is the repentance that God is inviting us to be zealous about, to zealously seek that repentance, that relational clearing of the air uh, with a God who has loved us. And, and part of the way that we know this is the path, this is the currency, is exactly what he says. I think it's in verse uh, 20 here. He says, uh, behold, actually it's verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You see, there's a comparison being made here. And what Jesus is saying here is as we inhabit this humble currency, as we inhabit this way of life that, uh, that seeks to get low because we know that grace flows downhill, as we inhabit that, we come in line with the life of our Savior. Because how did Jesus conquer? Did He conquer by coming with the multitudes, ripping Caesar off his throne, you know, prevailing in a hard-fought battle. It's not how he conquered. He conquered by going to a cross, conquered by stretching out his arms and his legs and the blood pouring from his forehead and his side. And this is how Christ conquered. He conquered through the humility and the humiliation of a cross. He conquered by becoming nothing in order that we might become everything. So you see, when, when Jesus is encouraging on us this currency of humility, it's a currency that He well knows. And does it pay dividends? You better believe it does. I mean, look at what He promises promises that uh, you will get a gold that's refined by fire. It's a gold that cannot be tarnished. It's a gold that cannot diminish, that it will never rust. It will never fade. I mean, the things that we have right now, we know they're going to burn. They are not going to last, right? They are not the things that will identify us, but the gold that Christ gives us is the gold that has already been refined by fire, so that you may truly be rich. And white garments, not the black garments of fashion, right? That's passing. 
I mean, Laodicean wool is so yesterday. But it's the white garments of Christ's righteousness that he grants to us that will endure into eternity. And you want a salve. Oh, this puts the Phrygian powder, puts the Phrygian powder in the dust. It's a salve that will truly allow you to see. These are the dividends that we want, right? And it's not only the dividends, but it's also the feast. Because the last thing that we have to look at is verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. How many of you have heard that verse before? Uh, how many of you? you guys aren't a hand-raising congregation, are you? That's okay. Uh, how <laughs> I won't say anything um, about Presbyterians and hand-raising. Um, you know, so often we hear this verse, right? But we hear it in the context of uh, evangelism endeavors. And uh, that is so not what this verse is talking about. Uh, for one, I mean, who is this written to? It's written to the church, right? It's written to people who are already inside the church. The problem is, is that we cut the flow of thought often. We, we say, verse 19, be zealous and repent, period. And then we, you know, think it's completely a different thought. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But what he's saying is this. Listen, if you spend the currency of humility, be zealous and repent, zealously repent, because behold, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And my great desire as the lover of your soul is to go in and to eat with you and to share the intimacy that we were created for with you. You see, eating is so different in those days than it is now. You know, if you went to a meal at somebody's house, it was very slow. We wash feet, you know, wash hands, touch each other, talk to each other. You know, then you sit down and things are still being prepared, but that's okay because we're not in a hurry. You know, there is a, a leaning on each other's breasts. There is a, there is a true intimacy in a meal that our culture has totally lost. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is what the currency of humility leads to. It's an intimacy with, with me. It's an intimacy between you and I. You know, as you come together and you confess your need, nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. As you come to me with that heart, I receive you and I say, yes, I know. Because I've known you since the day you were conceived. And I know your thoughts, and I know your hearts, and I love you. I love you. Let's come. Let's wash. Let's sit down. Let's eat. Let's eat. Let's remember. Let's believe the finished work that I have done. And may you know a richness, a feast that has been prepared for you as my child from before the foundations of the world.
This is good advice, isn't it? We have a great counselor, one who comes to us and says, look it, let's take an honest assessment. You're a lot worse off than you think, but that's good news. That's good news because I, the riches in me, are so much greater than you ever could have imagined, than you ever dared hoped. So come. Grace flows downhill. Be humble. Come before me and see if my loving heart does not, does not envelop you in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word to the churches. It's so old. There's a cultural distance. We don't know much about black wool or Phrygian powder. But Lord, the, the things that you have to say to us this evening, we know about. We know what it means to lie to ourselves. We know what it means to lie to you. We know what it means to want to offer you the gifts that you have given us rather than just offering you honesty and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Lord, we know that these you will not despise. And so we come uh, with a renewed confidence, not in us, but in you. For we know that you have conquered and that you now sit on the throne. You have conquered because of your love for the Father, your love for us as your children. And so we come, confidence in your conquering, the love of your heart, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.